Our God has been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen. He doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with treats. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whisperers. Hey, welcome to The God Whisperers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. And I'm Bill Swirlo. And with us on location, because we don't actually believe in being in a studio, is Dr. Rod Rosenblatt. It's not belief. We don't have a studio. <laughs> That's Well, actually, Pirate Christian Radio is available. This is a road show. Is at uh, is. 3 a.m. when we can get Chris Roseboro out of the studio because he's, 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 he loves to run long on his Let, program. Let's give, let's give the air suites some props here because they're letting us borrow this room. Absolutely. So, so it's the air suites at Costa Mesa. Decent folks. We just had a great luncheon with some solidly Lutheran men. And uh, we're just kind of hanging out, hanging out with the aftermath, and we rounded Rod up for a we're, third microphone. We are in the Shekinah glory right now. We are we are warm and fuzzy oh, from that's the gathering of men. Oh gosh, man, <laughs> help! Rod, yeah. I, I think I saw Rod gag a little yeah, bit. Just yeah, yeah. Lunch is starting to back up on him as, <laughs> as we speak here. Quick housekeeping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, our website: GodWhispers.com. You can and add a visit www to that. Yeah, everybody knows that. And and uh, the, visit the swag store and buy Christmas ornaments. My, my mom might need the www. www.godwhispers.com. And email godwhispers at gmail.com. Email. We've been getting some great emails. Thanks for all of you who've been Absolutely. really doing that. Yeah, it's been, been a good time. We have a discerning group of listeners, all six of them. They are just <laughs> stellar. <I> mean, <laughs> sort of leads the charge, though, to uh, make sure that everybody reproaches me for poor punctuation. And, and spelling and, and grammar. Spelling and Absolutely. grammar, all the rest. And, and Rod, I I know you'd love that too. Yeah. So well, he's read your papers. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, as I was saying, with us is Dr. Rod Rosenblatt, professor at Concordia University in Irvine, and uh, co-host of the nationally syndicated White Horse. In well, the well-known everybody knows about the White Horse. Absolutely, we're, we're we're all disciples of the White Horse <laughs> in at some level. Rod, do you get a cut of Modern Reformation? Do they do they fork you over your quarter? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, Rod, it's truly an honor to have you in the infamous at the infamous third microphone of the God Whispers, and uh, uh, this is probably today. Today's been stellar because we had David Morrow, and now uh, Rod Rosenblatt. Uh, this is more outside attention than we're used to, but we're <laughs> loving every minute of it. Um, Rod, what are you thinking about these days? Well, uh, one of the things I've noticed recently, I knew, along with everybody else, that the mainline churches were hemorrhaging members, money, children, and everything else. But what I hadn't realized was some of the stuff that Bart is writing about uh, the hemorrhaging of the evangelical Seriously. Churches. Yeah, that's sort of new to me. Uh, I knew it couldn't be sustained because it's too lightweight. Uh, when I was in InterVarsity 25 years ago, uh, it was a completely different movement than it's become. Uh, but I didn't realize it was hemorrhaging members. Now, the unfortunate thing is they're not going to Reformation churches. They're going to no church. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of become a stepping stone to, to agnosticism yep. or atheism or just despair. Yes, and, and it is highly, highly significant for all of us that we don't just passively watch that happen because there's an alternative. I used to tell my students at Westmont, before you go to unbelief, it may be glory right now and victorious, but just in case it cracks, try a Reformation church before you go to atheism. 
Now, Rod, I've contended for years that the the mega churches, the evangelical churches, their back door is every bit as big as their front door. Uh, they just managed to move masses through both doors. I didn't know that. And I also really believe that a lot of people who have attended church at one time or another, gone forward in an altar call and all this stuff, they tend to just simply check out of Christianity, as you're saying, with a, I, I've been there, done that, it tried did, that, didn't yep. work for me, got the T-shirt, yes, and now I'm going to try uh, some sort of Eastern mysticism or something else. And, you know, they kind of go through the gambit and they become nominal atheists or agnostics. In yes. the end. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Yeah, I think it is. And uh, because the head was never really addressed in their evangelicalism, they imagine it can't be. What do you mean by the head? Well, there was uh, Paul Little, the evangelical, Plymouth Brethren, author of How to Give Away Your Faith, uh, and uh, Know Why You Believe. I was his TA at Trinity when I did my second master's degree, Mm -hmm. and he preached my ordination. Uh, He talked about a friend of his back there, and in the Midwest, which I don't know at all, there are evidently in some large churches coat rooms where you check your coat or hat Hmm. when you come into the back. And he quoted a friend of his uh, earlier saying to him, You know, Paul, I wish I could check my head, too, because I'm not going to need it for the next 90 minutes. Oh, oh. That's, that's harsh. Yeah, that's rough right there. Now, let me ask. You know, we, 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 it's, it's easy to say they, they kind of leave the evangelical churches for nothing, for atheism. For, but that, that may or may not be fair. Are, are, have they just sort of uh, essentially... Given up, not so much given up on God and Christ, but given up on the church. Probably so, but I, I'm not informed enough to be able to answer that. Okay. Uh, I'm curious about it. I'm curious about mm. it. Uh, but I want them in a Reformation church where the gospel is proclaimed to them. That I know they don't know. Uh, they only know that from the world of evangelistic meetings. But as Wesley said to his pastors, I want you, first of all, to evangelize pagans. Gets an A for that. But after that, it was encouraging them on to Christian perfection, those who were believers. Mm -hmm. And that's the diet they get. Mm. I used to have students at Westmont who say, we have a Bible-believing pastor. And I'd say, okay. And you'd say he preaches the gospel to you as believers? Absolutely. And I'd say, well, give me the sermon themes for the last month or two. And they were all how-tos. Hmm. Yeah. Everything was a how-to. Now, is that the cause of the hemorrhage in your estimation? I think probably it's worse. I think that probably that it is the superficiality of it all. This is not leaving uh, a church like Lake Avenue Congregational 30 years ago or Mariner's Church in uh, Newport Beach 40 years ago. This is leaving... Uh, ones who are really, really willow-trained and entertainment-oriented. Mm-hmm. And that uh, that one, I guess, is cracking. So it, it's more the leave-your-head-in-the-cloakroom. I think that's, so. That's the, not so much driving them out. Driving would be a really active thing. It sounds like what you're saying is that at some point they just they just decide the heck with it. Yeah. And, and just check out. Yeah. What was that line in uh, Silverado? Cobb, you got nothing I need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> my life story, as you know, is out of evangelicalism. And 
I basically came to a point with all of the legalism, do this, don't do that. If you do this, you're going to be left behind in the rapture. And if you, you know, so forth and so on. And all these people around me were claiming to live the victorious Christian life. And I was honest enough with myself to say, uh, it's not working. I, I, I can't do that. And I'd go home, beg God to make me holy, make me righteous, make, you know, do something with my life, change me. And, you know, it didn't, nothing changed. And I knew that I was, I was a wretch. And I came to a point where I quit. Sure. I, and I believed, sure. I believed that I believe in Jesus. Yep. I believe that he came and lived a perfect life and died on the cross, but he hates me. Uh-huh. And I think a lot of people end up, uh, at least the ones that are, are tender-hearted or, or tender of conscience, yep. they end up in that position. Yep. And the Lutheran Church is just miserable at getting our word out to these people. Yes. You know, we, we do not do outreach to these people right. Do you, do you have any suggestions on well, how to go it about was, that? It was sort of why I did that lecture, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. Uh-huh. I used the campus. I used Concordia to give that one night. Uh, Ted was handing, handling the technology, my son, and I said to him privately, I'm glad there are going to be a whole bunch of Lutherans showing up to hear this, but it's really for another group. Hmm. I imagined it put into digital and actually getting into the burned-out evangelical world, because hmm. that's for whom it was designed. Right. So expand on this a little bit. To, to those broken by the church, um, for those of us who grew up in the church and, and really never left, you know, Craig's story is, he's, you know, there's a time when he, he checked out and then he checked back in. I'm one of those life for Lutherans who doesn't know any different. Uh, how, how has the church broken some people? Well, I really am not talking about a confessional church like the LCMS. Well, just, just in general, though, when you say, it, you know, when we say church is that, that whole body of Christ, well, it's what which, which it's, has some real oddball segments in it and, and that kind of thing. How are they broken? What, what, what was done to them? What's happening with them? I think the usual is that they come to the point Craig was describing, where they say to themselves, not only am I not victorious, I don't think I'll ever get there. And it begins to look very, very attractive, if you're going to be damned anyway, to say, I might as well have some fun on this earth if I'm going to be damned anyway. Ah, okay. It's the, kind of the inverse of Pascal's wager. Right. You know, this is a loser anyway, so you may as well go down having no, fun. Right. Damned if I do, damned if I don't. Right. May as well. <laughs> may right. as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think that if you get a steady diet of law, uh, that is what it does. And you come to that conclusion. Uh, uh, I did too. Uh I was uh, happily in the SAE house at the University of Washington, didn't darken the door of a church, and was happy not to. But again, I'd grown up in Lutheran pietism, hmm. which is as close as you'd get to Wheaton and Biola. We just baptized babies. That's our, that's our little thing, is pietism. Yeah. That's, that's our contribution to yeah. this problem. And very wide. If you, take a look oh, yeah. at the, if you take a look at the Christian History magazine devoted to pietism, and you see the map of it through Herodhut... And uh, Zinzendorf, that's where, that's where Wesley got it, mm -hmm. the Moravians. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We provided that. He, he was in contact with uh, Cotton Mather in the New World. We spread this stuff everywhere throughout the whole Christian world. Yeah, and it, it, it often comes under the name Lutheranism, too. Yeah. Yeah. 
But uh, well, really we sing we bad. we sing a Zinzendorf hymn. I do it, but Jesus, Thy blood and righteousness. That's a that's a uh, that's a good hymn. That's a great hymn. It's a now, good hymn. He wasn't referring to the Lord's Supper when he wrote it, but right. none, nonetheless, it's a it's it's a solid hymn. Yeah, but, but it's it's from that Pietist that's tradition. That's the problem of the heterodox and the heretics is they're mostly right. Yeah, is when they go wrong that you know I mean. Most heretics are 90, 95% right and very charming people. But then when they go off, boy, they lead you straight to hell. Well, yeah. you know, you're, you're a professor of theology and, and you're Lutheran in that. Is there something sort of inherently unstable in Lutheran theology that le- lends to that? Why do they fall off either on the, the... It seems like there are either two places where they fall off, into pietism whether it's that Norwegian style or that yes. German style, or the other side, the equal and opposite ditch, and that is this, this abject rationalism yes. that led to the whole 19th century mess yep. that we're still extricating ourselves from today. Yep. And what, what is it, what is it about, about is, there, is there anything about Lutheranism, or is it just simply the paradox of the whole thing that well, makes I don't, it... I don't think it's built into Lutheranism. If, right. anybody, if any church has a shot at not falling into those ditches, we're it. We have the best shot of any church on earth of not doing that. I think the problem comes when the fathers become convinced by pastor or church or somebody that they are the backer-up of the law in the home. So the Bible gets used for it. Hmm. That and, is, and, and you're, you're specifically oh, identifying the fathers in this. Yeah. Thing. Okay. So. And if we, if we had a situation where... The thing were alive in a way and happy because Luther's theology is the happiest theology in the world. If we had a situation where the homes, basically, theologically, it's a, it's a, a theology of happiness. Or think of Lewis's, uh, his eschatological close to the Nardian Chronicles. Uh, one of the lines there in the seventh book, The Last Battle, as the kids are just ecstatic that the, that the new heavens and new earth have begun, the lion is up ahead saying to them, follow me, you're not yet as happy as I want you. <laughs> <laughs> that's sweet. That's yeah. nice. Yes. Now, if there's any theology in the world where that's undergirded, it's ours. Hmm. And yet it seems like we consistently pull that punch. Yeah. And and what is it? What, why is that? Is that fear? Yes, I think so. I think it's fear. Uh, but I'm not a clinical psychologist, but I think it is. Or need for control. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the way it works out is you're going to lose your kids. You're going to lose your kids. Hmm. Uh, I think... Maybe it was you. I can't remember who was talking about this at one point not too long ago uh, about Aslan in uh, C.S. Lewis oh. and, and uh, little Lucy. Is he safe? Yes. It, no, he's not. He's very dangerous. Uh, and <laughs> he eats but cities. But, but he's good. But he's good. But he's yeah. good, right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, we, you know, this is important to remember about our God, about our God is a dangerous God. Yes. He's, uh, you know, he can be a handful. Yes, and especially <laughs> in evangelicalism where it's never mentioned. I right. asked my own Lutheran students, you ever heard a sermon on hell? And I get no takers. Uh, but still, have somebody read Narnia and see what they think after that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that thing is transformative. I- I've been looking for a pre-written Bible study because I'm too lazy to do my own right now uh, on heaven and hell. 
Yes. And I can't no find books. anything through Concordia Publishing House. There or is, anybody else. There is a book, but there's no... But, you know, and I'm always amazed at this. Heaven is is our home. We're, we're looking right. forward to the day that we'll be taken to heaven, and yet we know so little about it, and we study so little about it. It's just really, really kind of strange. Bill, do you know of any good resource same, on that? No. And the yeah. same thing is true with fulfilled messianic prophecy. We haven't had a, a book on that that's good since Keith's prophecy in the late 18th, early 19th century. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, bless, bless Josh McDowell and John Stewart's heart, they wrote a little paperback. Yeah. But, I mean, we need—the early Christians used that as a major argument for the truth of the gospel, especially with Jews. Uh, and it's a theme in Matthew. This was happened so that the Scripture would be filled, f- fulfilled, which said, "Right, we have right. a book on it." Um, I think the best book on heaven is Narnia Seven, hmm. the Last Battle. <laughs> <laughs> really, because we don't have much. Uh, uh, By the way, also in your youth, yeah, they fear that heaven will be an eternal church service. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a uh, great fear to a teenager. Swirla knows where I go on that one all the time. It's straight to Isaiah, the the fatted meats and the fine wines. Yes, you know I I, I like. Just, it I just want to know where the meat comes from. That's all. <laughs> it's you know if, if nothing <laughs> dies and where's the meat coming from? Won't be a problem. <laughs> yeah, that's, all I can say is God will provide. Yes. <laughs> hey, Bill. <laughs> yes, Bill. It's none of your business. Yeah, yeah. Right. Just eat it. Yeah. Just who, eat it. Who is it that said hell was made for people who ask such questions? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was Saint Augustine. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I always in my head the, the I grew up with the eternal church service, and I'm thinking, boy, I'll be sleeping a lot there. Sure, but in my in my head now as a Lutheran, I think about Feast. Saturday nights on your back deck <laughs> with all the guys smoking cigars, drinking wine, eating meat, times a billion or an infinity, and and. Here we are with Christ himself yep. sharing in this sweet fellowship. That never ends. Never well, ends. And, and I'll, I'll add to that because I, I, I was working that theme for All Saints. You'll be scuba today. diving. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, that, and that will be worship. Yes. See, and, and that's, that's yeah. the big thing is we, yeah. we, we see worship as some separate category. Yes. Yes. And and so specifically a boring category yes. or at least it's like a, a a purgatory. You know, you have to go through it. Yep. But but uh if Romans 12 is any indication that you know presenting your bodies as living sacrifices uh which is your spiritual act of worship, this this resurrection body is continually in worship although it's not the kind of activity that we normally represent as worship. This is where everything is worship. So your your feast of fat meats and fine wines with a good cigar is yeah. is actually worship. Yeah, and you well, don't have to. It worry. is now. It is now. It just doesn't. It just doesn't strike us that way. <laughs> yeah, though sometimes I'm worshiping worshiping my false god when I'm doing that. But that's yeah, the and no forgiveness of sins in that cigar. But uh. <laughs> oh, contrary, my friend. Oh, contrary. Oh. <laughs> but uh, it's a very real thing to our children or teenagers, especially. Uh, there's not very much about heaven that they've ever heard that's very attractive. Yeah. Now, there won't be a drinking age of 18. 
Uh, won't be an age. Won't be an age. <laughs> that will not be a problem. I, I commented that I understand the thing about harps, but I hope it's kept to a minimum because I really don't like harp music. Yeah. Only in moderation. Trumpets are cool, but you know, keep the harps down to a minimum. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just not. Ever heard uh, Garrison Keillor do a Young Luther's Guide to the Orchestra? Yes. Well, and where yes. the rest of the orchestra just wishes the brass weren't there at all. <laughs> <laughs> he said the trumpeters want to blow those things and see ballards fall from the ceiling. <laughs> That's I, right. I, I remember he goes through all these different instruments yes. and why they're not fitting for a Luther. Yes. And they're, they're too Hilarious. Brash. They're too, you know, one thing. showy. Or what too. Did they end up with the oboe, was it? They end up with the harp and... Uh, 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 percussion. Per- uh, percussion. Percussion. Because you have to wait. All the Pauline virtues, <laughs> you have to wait until you finally get patient, the, get patient waiting. Yeah, <laughs> make your little noise. <laughs> yes. Play the triangle. I was like, yes. yeah, the triangle player. I always focus in on that guy yes. because he's waiting, waiting. They're reading books. You know, he's got yes. his iPod. <laughs> right. In, you know, he's, right. He's doing all kinds of stuff. And then he lives for that one moment. Yes. Ding. Yes. <laughs> it's a it's a great great game. What a what a what a metaphor of something. I haven't I, figured out do what Do they get it paid the same as a violinist? Uh, no. They okay. they actually don't, but <laughs> it's just it's frightening. Your cohort over at Whitehorse Inn has has written a new book, uh, uh Christless Christianity. You yeah. mentioned that to me. What what's going on with that? Well, uh it's been a theme of ours on the Whitehorse Inn for a year and uh We've, for the first time, run into where we've had to reprint the magazine because there's so many calls for it that we have to do other, more printings uh, through the year. I think probably the, the core of the thing, as Dr. Horton lays it out, has to do with how many substitutes you've got within the churches for the person and work of Christ. Hmm. Everything but... For exa- Everything for, but. For, for example, I mean, that's, that's a curious statement. Well, Substitutes for Christ. Yeah. Really. Well, it's, he's, he's absent. Uh, and you say, well, what did you put in his place? Well, you put moral stories. You put entertainment. You put uh, self-help. There's a whole list of things that you can have at church, none of which are Jesus Christ. Now, in the old days of evangelicalism, I knew what a Southern Baptist was going to do. It was predictable. Uh, he was going to have opening prayers and introductions, and there was a kind of a uh, leading up to the sermon, which was the main thing, and an altar call at the end. Well, that's no longer true. Not in evangelicalism. Not anymore. And even that sort of liturgy that you could depend on for decades isn't there. Uh, There's all kinds of subjects, like I was mentioning, uh, but the best is get the book. The book is just outstanding. In the uh, in the opening of the publication of Mike's Christless Christianity, he was on the Washington Post. I guess it's a what's it called? I guess a chat or a webinar or something. It was not visual. It was keyboard. Oh yeah, it's one like like a, a, a yeah internet chat or, yeah. or web seminar webinar. Right. Okay. And. Uh, uh, that you can get, I think, at the White Horse Inn, that whole transcript. He was taking on all covers. And that was one fascinating hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a couple of loony questions, which you expect from the Washington Post. But other than that, there were people who said, I'm serious. I've never heard anything like this before. It was like when he had a Jewish, unbelieving Jewish uh, 
radio host and did uh, the San Francisco Commute Hour at the highest listing radio station in San Francisco. And he was doing it for about two and a half hours. The show ended. This Jewish guy looked over at him and said, Mike, are you ever up in San Francisco in the Bay Area? And Mike said, no, not really. Why do you ask? He said, I have never heard anything like you just said for the last two hours in my whole life. I will put you in the penthouse of the Mark Hopkins Hotel. I'll cover all your meals, all your booze, all of anything you want. If I could just get a few hours for you to talk to me about what you just spent two and a half hours talking about. Wow. wow. That's, that's really amazing. Uh, oh, and by the way, the Washington Post said, we've been doing this five years. We have never had this many requests. No kidding. No kidding. On any subject. Wow. See, now, now the, the implication here is that a, a big chunk of Christianity has really lost the essence of Christianity. That is that they, they have it's not so much that there's there's a few doctrines that are a little no. bit out of kilter. No. But but this no. is this is a wheel with no hub any longer. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, and so what people think is Christianity. Yes. And and especially uh, you know, I'm thinking about the more hostile atheists, what they react against they they are reacting to something they think is Christianity yes. but actually isn't. Yes. It's Ab- a caricature of Absolutely. It. Absolutely. And many cases, too many that I want to think about, the church caused a lot of it. How so? Well, with its moralism, the kind of church I grew up in. Every Sunday school story culminated in a moral point. Mm. Mm. And I will never forget when my father delivered me from Sunday school. (laughs) (laughs) The great emancipation. What what, what happened? You said you didn't want to go anymore? He looked at me and said, how was Sunday? I was about eight, Uh nine. He, He looked at me. And he said, how was Sunday school? I said, okay. He said, how would you like to quit? <laughs> he, he sensed your okay wasn't okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. I said, uh-huh. Dad, I'd love to quit. He's, <laughs> he said, come in and sit with me at the adult hour. Oh, mm. oh the adult class. Mm. No, I didn't understand one twentieth of that, but it didn't matter because I'd been delivered from those gray-haired old women with their hair <laughs> in a bud that had a curriculum to try and teach me morals using Bible stories to do it. Well, of course, you have to teach morals to kids because you want them to behave. <sighs> but in the church today, it doesn't even seem to go that far in so many churches. Before I became a Lutheran, uh, I was attending one church. The pastor was basically a psychologist. He was giving all sorts of uh, marital advice. I wonder about that when I read the church marquees, if they still have them. Yeah. I thought, where did you get your degree in clinical? Yeah, it was, it was all marital. I mean, this guy... practicing without a license. This guy had written books, and, also, and of course, he got caught with hanky-panky with the secretary. So, so much for his expertise on happy marriages. And just a couple of years ago, I went to a mega church out in Pasadena. I won't say which one, uh, but... I, I was just curious what they were up to, and I went on an evening service, and they were starting a series on happy dating and marriage and relationships and all this kind of stuff. And it was good Dr. Phil information, but there just wasn't any Jesus there. Yep. Mm-hmm. But, and they, but they did have an altar call at the end, which yeah. is really weird. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's an irrelevancy. <laughs> yeah. You know, what, well, what, if you think about it. Why, why would you even bother to do an altar call? Right. That's right. that's I mean, what I was sitting there wondering is is now if you'd like to invite Jesus in your heart well uh, uh, I just learned not to beat my wife and and uh, you know to be kind and pleasant but w- what's this have to do with inviting Jesus into right. my heart mm-hmm. no, total disconnect yeah d- yep. didn't make any sense whatsoever yep so 
There you have it. There, there you have it. <laughs> I mean, it, here's the here's the thing though is is what what's what's the church's response now? I mean, we're obviously there's there's got to be some way oh, to if, to address this 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 void. Because let we, me talk to Lutherans. Okay, if there ever ever in the last four hundred years was a time to do what we were trained to do at seminary, this is that time. Don't move. Mm -hmm. Don't move. We're going to have to pick that up on the other side of the break. Okay. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the God Whispers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. And I'm Bill Swirla. And with us we have Dr. Rod Rosenblatt, uh, kingpin of the White Horse Inn. Godfather. Godfather of the White Horse Inn. The guy who keeps Mike, Mike Horton in line. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He's, so, really, he's really Lutheran, isn't he's, he? He's, yeah, come on. Let's say it right here. Right, right, on, right on God Whispers. Well, Horton I, is a his, crypto Lutheran. His, his latest book. I love Mike. I mean, he's, he's yeah, his, good stuff. Christless Christianity, if anything, he's... He's going to convince even more reform yeah. that he's that he's on the bubble right yeah. now, and, and and his synod of Dort <laughs> credentials are going down the tubes fast. But that's good. Well, that's your influence is, is paying <laughs> dividends. <laughs> he uh, he is really an articulate writer, absolutely, and, and, and he writes at the at the level. It's it's not simple, but it's it's popular. It, that is anybody can pick this up. You don't have to be in on the internal jargon. No. no. And and so he is writing for the 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 average reader, absolutely, who probably wouldn't pick up a religious book otherwise, right? And and that's what I really appreciate about what he does. Is, yeah. uh, he's very gifted in that. Sense. And, and the volume at which he writes is also astounding. I don't to me. know how he does that. I, I, you I, know, uh, with triplets. Yes. Yeah. Back back <laughs> back after I think he had written his uh, I don't know fourth book or something like that. I was over at his house and I was talking to him, and he's just typing away while he's talking to yep. me. How do you do that? I, I had a <laughs> similar amazing. experience. I, th- I think I was over. Did he have a? Does he have a swimming pool? He used to. He uh, used to. Okay, then maybe a different house or something. But but uh, he was sitting poolside, and I forgot why I was there. But he was he was talking to somebody about a manuscript, and and he's 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 on the phone talking about paragraphs, lines, and and he's got his computer. He's doing something else, and I'm thinking this is just unreal. No, you know, I mean, the guy has three brains. I was I was fatigued just <laughs> watching him work. You know, I'd take a nap after that, and yeah. and. Uh, but no, the, so we're talking about um, when when we broke. Uh, you were talking about now is the time, really, for for uh, the pastors of the church to put into practice what what it is they were taught, and yeah. for the church to do what it's supposed to be doing best. Can you kind of fill well, that out a little? Well, bit? in our circles, in Lutheran circles, we are the choice before somebody goes Episcopal, Eastern Orthodox, or Roman Catholic. Yeah, well, we have some of our guys who've done I, that. I, I know, <laughs> I know. But what we are doing, what we were trained to do and called to do, there'll be the liturgy, the hymnal every single Sunday, no surprises. We were trained in homiletics to preach sin and Christ using this particular text to do it, but particularly with emphasis on gospel and the and the. Uh, announcement that our sins are forgiven. And why? If ever there was a time in the last 400 years where we shouldn't move from that spot, that time is today. Hmm. Don't move. 
Right. I'm really kind of convinced, though, that most churches that are doing that are not growing leaps and bounds. I don't care. They will grow if there's any life left in them and the gospel is clearly proclaimed and that word gets out. Mm. They'll be strange people, not Lutherans by birth. <laughs> that, that there may be the problem. We're right going to show up. Strange there. people are going to show up. Well, to us, strange. <laughs> but that's a wonderful thing. Bill, I, I want to ask your opinion on this one. And I, I've noticed... You ought to be doing that with fear and trepidation. But yeah, go, go well, ahead anyway. I, it, it's yes. just that I don't have enough sense not to. Right. But I've noticed that a lot of people who have come into a, my church... Uh, at first, they're really excited to hear this gospel message. They're just really, really uh, on fire, you know, just jumping up and down, excited. And after about three years, they kind of start looking around like, yeah, yeah, we've heard that Jesus died for us, and he sucked up all of the sins of the world, and, and uh, you know, he's made that glad exchange, our sin for his righteousness. Yeah, w- we know all that, and now it's getting a little boring. Have, have you had that experience at quite a few? I'm not saying all. But but there's a good number of people that seem to kind of filter through the church, and they they lose. The, it just becomes kind of uh, passe. Well, I, I think there, there there are a number of factors there. One is the people who come into say the Lutheran Church from other churches have already learned the the art of moving of changing churches. Something I don't know about. Uh, I, I have never. I, I was baptized in Lutheran in, in the Lutheran Church in a Missouri Synod Lutheran Church, and I, I've never really departed. I've, I've kind of wandered here and there as a guest, but I never really signed on to the program. Sure. Um, but I, I think that once you have learned, it's it's like people who get divorced once. The second one is really easy. The third one's a snap. Hmm. You, you, you've learned the way of divorce, and unfortunately, I think a lot of people who are refugees from what Rod is describing have never really had that beaten out of them, or that has not died. This subjective, uh, you know, I'm in it, it's, it's what I'm getting out of it, I'm being fed, I'm being this. And, and so uh, the, when the gospel is new, it's a joy. The real challenge is when the gospel is old and you know it by heart and, and you realize now's the time you need to hear it more than ever. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think that's a question of that, that's, that's that move to spiritual maturity. It's no different, I think, than in a marriage when you look at that woman next to you in bed and she's drooling and snoring and you are reminded of this vow. And that's what keeps you. Yeah. And, and you come into a love that can come. You, there's no other way. There's no other way than to stick it out because that's, and I'm not reflecting what my wife does. She, <laughs> she, she looks at me in that way, drooling and snoring. I just have to, have to add here. Right. But you know what I'm saying is, is it's sticking it out with the gospel now. You know the story, but there's a deep need to hear it. It has to be drilled into your ears because the old Adam will not believe it. Let, let me add something yeah. to that that's, that's not our normal ethos. We, as near as I can figure out, if we had an R.C. Sproul or a Michael Horton, we wouldn't know what to do with them. Oh, we give them a desk job at the Synod. Goodness. <laughs> put, them, put them in charge of higher education services. <laughs> I mean, there are, pe- yeah. <laughs> there are people in our churches who are apt to teach, can do it from the Scriptures and do it very well. Who's that tall drink of water down in Arizona? What a great man. He's probably 80-some now. Sedona? I, I have know. no idea who you're talking about. He was, he was youth for LCMS for years. He's six-foot-something. Uh-huh. 
who is that? Uh, I see him at the pastor's retreats. I wish I knew. Oh. But anyway, oh. you're, you're saying we we have somebody that's just... We just have some of those. Recogni- and we don't know what to do with them. Demonstrable teacher. We, we don't know what to do with them. Yeah. Well, but what about what Craig is saying, that, that uh, people... People uh, initially hear the gospel with great joy, and then after about three years or so, there's there's a kind of uh, well, there must be more. Well, I, I'm not a clinical psychologist. You you pastors would be better at that than I am. Hmm. Uh, I'm just continually disappointed that our publishing house doesn't give us stuff for educated white collar adults who are the ones that show up at a lot of our churches and are choosing between Presbyterian, Episcopal, Lutheran, or something else. And our publishing house does We have great stuff for scholars. Only 12 people in the Western world can understand it. Mm-hmm. And we got great stuff for children. Baptists come and buy VBS material from Concordia because it's high on Scripture and honors Christ. And in between, nothing. Well, I'm not sure. I, I just uh, Not that I'm going to rush to the defense of, of a publisher or anything, but I think uh, in recent times we've actually had some things that, that, that look promising. One, one is, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the, the reader's edition of the Book of Concord. This, yes. is, a, this is an attempt to yes. make, this, this is moving the Book of Concord yes. out of the scholarly yes. realm. Yeah, wonderful. And putting it on the desk of the one, layman. And wonderful. Say, you need to read this. Absolutely. And, and, wonderful. And in one book, one volume, you get history. Terrific. Background, you know, definitions, terms, and and. And I think in the long run, Terrific. that's, that's going to pay dividends. Oh, I do too. Um, the, I do the, too. The other thing is this recent uh, this recent release. I have a copy laying around here of the, the Treasury of Daily Prayer. I've heard that, where, and, and I've heard the Internet Monk loves it. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's getting rave reviews outside of Lutheranism. Yeah. But yeah. I think there's some bright spots here where we recognize Good. that we have not— Good. We have not put resources at the fingertips of our people, and they're hungry for it. If if you provide Great. if you provide substance, they they will there, go for that. That's there right. There are some really really solid stellar guys at Concordia still, and uh, they're they're putting out some good. They're, they're working on some really good stuff, and they've been putting out some pretty good stuff. But I think historically, over the last half a century, what you're saying falls in the true camp. That well, look, I we, used, we've, we've I used, missed a lot of opportunities. InterVarsity, in its background, is very British. And uh, as co- uh, contrast with the Campus Crusade on campus, uh-huh. InterVarsity's idea of a highly emotional revival on campus was to have a Christian professor speak on a, a topic of secular interest and then afterwards, there was a table of books. Hmm. That was a British style of a revival <laughs> on university. <laughs> a table of books. And, and a lecturer and a who lecture. gave a lecture. <laughs> now, but I didn't have that parallel in Lutheranism. And we're a, our, our history is from a university. That's our history. We should be really good at this by now. Now, you know, my, my experience and background in the Lutheran Church says that I, I don't think that we took, I don't think we challenged the laity enough and that we took the intelligence of the laity seriously enough, that, that uh, we, we had modestly good catechesis, you know, good program of indoctrination to yes. bring you in. Yes. Um, but we expected you to be regular in worship, to give... Be an, be an usher. Uh, be an, that's where I'm going. What, <laughs> what we ended up doing is we ended up giving a lot of 4-H projects out to people that really didn't challenge them to grow. Yep. Um, it, it really wasn't until I was I was plunked down in a bunch of junior hires. This was just before I went to the SEM. 
Uh, I was given the assignment by my pastor up north, uh, Joe Shrule. You know uh-huh. Joe. I know Joe. Uh, he, he, he dumped the junior high Bible study on me. I'd never done anything like this. I had no clue as to what I was doing. I grew more yes. in my knowledge of the scriptures and my ability to articulate the faith in the two years that I did that than anything else I'd, I'd been taught. Right. I've forgotten everything I learned in Sunday school. Yep. You know, I don't even, I just remember a handful of Sunday school teachers and everything else. But those two years of, of basically just, just trying to keep a bunch of junior hires interested and engaged sure. was just trying I don't think we, we, we give, I don't think we put enough of that kind of thing in the hands of the lady right. where they have to defend the faith. Yeah. yeah. And, and engage. Yeah. And I think if you don't engage inside the church, you're never going to engage outside the right. church. I've often thought that the reason that our people don't share their faith with others is they don't understand it. They they kind of have a cursory understanding of, of Lutheran doctrine and how to defend their faith, but I, I think the majority of people fall short. Well, we shoot ourselves in the foot with our doctrine of the ministry, too, that, that you know, the pastor is the professional Christian. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, you complain. You're talking about CPH. The, the good books were accessible, you said, only to the studious theologian. And then the rest was just, uh, you know, bulletin covers and VBS, you know, and, and that's changing. <laughs> VBS how, has been great. Uh, yeah. The, however, you know, the, the mentality is there that theology is for the pastors. Yeah. You know, I grew up with this thing that the large catechism was for the pastors. Yeah. And yeah. I discovered otherwise later that those were sermons to families. Those are family sermons on the topics of the catechism so the parents, the fathers could go home and teach their kids. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Rod, um, this comes into play really well with one of your expertise, uh, areas of expertise, is apologetics. Uh Uh, The Lutheran Church seems to be really weak in this area. Yeah, we haven't had professors of it for better part of a century. We seem yeah. to fear that word too. Yeah, it's, it's apologetics. Yeah, we, ha- we have got. It used to be the three. One of the three components of systematic theology. There was dogmatics, which doesn't mean being dogmatic. It means doctrine. Mm-hmm. Dogmatics, ethics, and apologetics were the divisions of systematic theology in the classical theological curriculum. Holy smokes! I, I just had a revelation there because we only have one. We, we no, don't do we, ethics we don't either. Even have ethics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm kind of glad about <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I know you are, but but <laughs> yeah. there are people who yes. will say that that's a problem too because we don't do it. Yes. we fall prey to the, yes. those who do. Yes. Well, we also get eaten alive by Roman but, Catholic scholars who are trained in philosophy. Yes, yes. Turn the Jesuits loose on this. Yeah, oh, holy smokes! <laughs> but really, alive. again, we have the strength. We've forgotten culturally. We've forgotten we were really good at this in the 17th century. It's yeah. just it hasn't mm. been translated out of Latin. We were really good at it. Hmm. But apologetics, but you're, you're it saying is, was... Yeah, apologetics is the intellectual defense of the gospel as true, not as helpful, true. <laughs> and, <laughs> I'm writing that distinction down right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, I remember, True, not helpful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, and part of it is just simple reading of good works... Uh, on this subject so that you can load them out to other people. Mm. A goodly part of apologetics is loading books that you've read. Yeah. Not junk. So give us the short list. Well, for high schoolers, I'll use Paul Little's uh, Know Why You Believe. I have that. I've read it. That is a fine book. For high school kids. Know Why You Believe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's an evangelical through and through, but if if you don't have better, use it. Uh. For adults, always the first part of mere Christianity 
It used to be published on its own, Mere Christianity's three books bubblegum together by Macmillan, but the first one was called The Case for Christianity, the first 55 pages of Mere Christianity. There are more people who are in Christ for reasons of that book more than any other book other than Scripture. It English, really is English amazing. Speakers. How many people? Oh, you can't even count them. You talk to agnostics who have read that on a regular basis. Yeah. And my mentor, Dr. John Warwick Montgomery, his little book, History, Law, and Christianity, is a defense on national Canadian television when uh, earlier they'd had a philosophy prof say that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were historically worthless. Hmm. The InterVarsity group in British Columbia called C.S. Lewis to come out and rebut. He wrote back and said he'd had a heart attack and probably his, his uh, traveling days were finished. And they wrote Dr. Montgomery at Waterloo, and he came out and delivered the text of what we now see as history and Christianity. Hmm. That one I give away over and over and over again. Uh, there are basics like this. Mm -hmm. uh, to just acquaint our laity with Lewis's The Problem of Pain and what's in it. I, I've done over 30 years, had students doing outlining work of Christian classic works. Those are now at my son's New Reformation Press, and they're waiting for me to write marketing blurbs for them. <laughs> That's where it died. Oh, yeah. you're, the, the, you're the bottleneck? Oh, I am. <laughs> marketing blurbs. Marketing blurbs. <laughs> so people can say, what's this book about? Why right. should I read Augustine's Confessions? Or why should I read Butler? Or why should I read uh, a lot of them in apologetics? But they're content outlines without comment. They are just so that, uh, for instance, a homeschool movement, parents could use them without having read the book themselves. Mm -hmm. It's not the greatest of situations, but they can acquaint their kids with St. Augustine because somebody took the time to put it in outline form. And the advantage of an outline is you only need to go into the depth you want to. You can limit as you go by just staying left. Right, right, right. Hmm. Excellent. But so, books, books. I, here's one, a story of Lutheranism. I served as interim pastor uh, in a couple of Lutheran synods for 20 years here in Southern California. I would always suggest to the boards of elders, tell you what, go to the welcome wagon, find out the address of everybody within a four-mile radius of the parish, send this uh, leaflet to them. It was a, a series of letters between someone who wrote to C.S. Lewis and said, you were once where I am. How did you get to where you are now? Because I'd like to, but I can't. And they exchanged letters back and forth, about six of them. And it was published by his magazine of InterVarsity under the title Journey into Light. I said, look, reproduce that, send it to everybody in a four-mile radius of the church, invite them to come for a particular evening for coffee. We will promise you there will not be one church member there. You will never be asked to fill out a card to identify yourself. We'll have coffee, and you can ask whatever you want to ask. And in 20 churches, I never got one Lutheran church that said, why not? Or, why, why should we do that? Or, or why, let's, let's do that. And I said, look, all you have to do is provide a room, a pot of coffee, someplace where people can be comfortable, and I'll do it. That's hmm. what I'm trained to do. I have somewhere in my files somewhere, I'm a... I'm a 
compiler, not a filer. Oh, so it's one, it's one of my piles. Um, yes. But I have I have a photocopy of that that essay. Uh, What's Journey in Delight? Yeah, uh, and again, where where did it come from? And his his magazine is it is it does it, it float around be. the internet or per, at first it was anonymous. The the writer we found out later it was Sheldon Van Alken. Oh, okay. And in his book about his wife's death from cancer. Oh, it might be in there, too. But at first it was published in his magazine, and I just took it. I just scanned it. Uh, that must be what the, the copy that I have, because right. it was just a photocopy. Right. But, but it, it, is, it is wonderful. And th- there's a sense there of, of people um, having come to Christ, recognizing that th- they're not coming to an unfamiliar place, but the most familiar. Yeah. That is, it's it's it is literally a coming home. It's it's yeah. it's that which they have always sought, but didn't know what they were seeking. Yeah, yeah. It's Augustine, the God-shaped blank in the, in yes. the human heart. Yes. And Lewis dialogues with this guy. It's a marvelous little piece and cheap to produce. Mm-hmm. Black and white, no color. It could be produced, you know, at a printer's pretty quickly and in pretty high volume. I never got a Lutheran taker. One parish. Hmm. Well, that's uh, we're not unfortunate. Known to, not known to take risks. No, <laughs> no. And not only that, it would cost money to do that. Oh, you you know, postage. You are a, a uh, <laughs> you you are. Uh, I guess I guess disciple is a little strong word, but uh, of of uh, Doctor Montgomery. He was my mentor, and uh, and and also then a leading proponent of the evidentiary apologetic. Yes. and and I have found that so valuable. In terms of dealing with the gospel as objective truth, sure, sure. Uh, could you just kind of take us through just the the contours of that? Because I I, I think that's valuable to uh, have on record in our conversation here as well. All right, here we go. This I'll do it as quickly as I can. But this is what I take my students through, uh, going all the way from nowhere to a fully inspired Bible. Here we go. First, the hard point. First. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when tested according to the ordinary criteria applied to any document of Greco-Roman antiquity, give evidence both within and without that they are primary source historical documents for the life of Christ. That's the toughie. F.F. Bruce, the New Testament documents, are they reliable? Uh, Something like that. So first, you're reading solid history. They are are, only four books. They are historically reliable. Only four books. The Gospels. Yep. The the Gospels are historically reliable. Yep. Okay. Okay. Secondly, that the major character in those Gospels claims to be nothing less than God in human flesh. That's just looking up passages on the deity of Christ. Some some people don't know he claimed to be God. hmm, Uh, There are manifold ways you can find this. uh, 20 different things. Uh, Good little Jews don't accept somebody falling at their feet and worshiping and saying, my Lord and my God. Uh, (laughs) It can get you dead. Right. Uh, (laughs) Yes, it can. (laughs) He thought that was perfectly appropriate. That guy did that. He was a monotheistic Jew. Uh, the, the, The lead character of the whole thing claims to be nothing other than God in human flesh. Thirdly, he offers objective verification of that by his sinless life, his miracles at will, but primarily his forthcoming resurrection from the dead. That's why the Jews said to the Romans, if you're smart, you'll put a guard by that too, because the disciples are going to steal the body, and they're going to go running around saying he's risen from the dead. 
The truth or falsity of the Christian gospel rests not on your experience of a liver shiver. It turns on whether the tomb was empty Easter morning, third day. Amen. That's what's worth examining. Then, if the question is, why should I trust the Bible, you take a look. If you verify that Jesus really was telling the truth about who he was and what he did on the cross, you'd ask him, is there any writing on which we can depend? That is a word of God. His view of the Old Testament was that he was a ranting, raving fundamentalist with regard to its inspiration. He quoted from every major part of the Jewish Old Testament. He never, never gave the idea that it ought to be criticized in any way. He took first parts of verses from one author, plugged them together with uh, second parts of the verse from another author, and thought that was perfectly consonant with what the, the Bible said. He spoke as if it was the verbal plenary inspiration of every single book. He quoted the books that make us most embarrassed. He used Genesis a lot, and he used Jonah a lot. Uh, total <laughs> big sign, the sign of Jonah. <laughs> total, total trust of the Old Testament text. Uh, there's a little reference, parenthetical, in John's Gospel. It's easy to remember because all the digits are the same. John 2.22. When, therefore, he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they, tr- and they believed the Scriptures and the word which Jesus had spoken. Did they believe him already? Absolutely, they were good Jews. But boy, when he was raised, read, read John 2.22. Then did he ever believe the Scriptures. Then with regard to the New Testament... He gave promises in John 14 through 16 that were very unusual and not universal. When he talked about, I will send another like me, he had choice in Greek, another like me to you, he will live with you and be in you, and he will lead and guide you into all truth. That's not a universal promise, that's to those who had walked with him. And then he said, he will bring to your remembrance everything whatsoever I've said unto you. Uh, that's weird to preach to me, uh, saying that applies to me, because I'm born 20 centuries too late to remember. I wasn't there. <laughs> so that, that's a word specifically to Specifically his, to his the later, later writers of the New Testament. Who are, are there in the upper room. Who are probably room, clueless. Upper room yep. and also heading toward Gethsemane at the time he's talking yep. through all of this stuff. Probably clueless as to what it meant. Didn't matter. He said Absolutely. it anyway. Absolutely. That's right. <laughs> you know? And, and to do that... I was in Birmingham, Alabama at the Cathedral of the Advent, and they set up for me a dinner with college students, and we had a great time. There was this great, brilliant young man who was having trouble with inerrancy. And we talked over dinner and beer for a while, and uh, he just kept on it. And I said, look, I'll tell you what. If you've got 20 minutes, I'll give you an argument for it. And I did. Then when he went on a little further, I said, wait a minute. I'll tell you what. You die... Rise after three days, and then I'll look, listen to your view of inerrancy. <laughs> that's so. That's the linchpin. It's the linchpin, and and so so basically, it it is it it goes from all you have to do is is accept the 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 gospels, the four gospels as, as history. reliable history. That's it. Kind of like an eyewitness deposition. Yep. You know they're telling the truth. They got they have everything to lose. Craig Parton, yeah, the defense never rests. And and from that you have the lead character saying, "I'm I'm God in the flesh." Yep. And he 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 doles out the evidence to prove it. Yep. He, do, he does God things, and the the kicker, he dies and rises. Yep. Sign of Jonah. Yep. And uh, and then from that, then what he has to say about scriptures you listen to is with the authority of the guy who died and rose. Yep. Yeah, it is kind of a clincher because uh, you know Buddha died. And he's still dead. Yep. And uh, Muhammad died, and, you know, there's his tomb. Yep. We don't have a tomb. Nope. We don't have a corpse. <laughs> yep. We have a tomb, but it's empty. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah and we they aren't can't, sure that we have the right to. They can't even figure out where that is, <laughs> and it really doesn't matter, does it? No, it doesn't. Yeah. Th- it so really that's that, well, you know what I love about that is that is Christ. It's Christ centered. It always yes. goes back to Christ. Yes. You know, it, it's who like, does this better than Lutherans? Yeah, it ought to be our, our our stock in trade. Yeah. You know, Rod, I'm convinced that our theologians tend to be fideus, and for those who don't know what that is, I believe because I believe. Yep. It's just a circular. Well, I believe because I believe. Yeah, that'll that'll yep. spin you around. It, in do circles. you think that that's a, a fair assessment of most of our theologians? Why well, in the Missouri it, Synod it's we, not, we not seem our to be theologians? Kind of, it's, no, not our not our theologians. It's well, swirling. it's he's the worst it's, one. It's, I'm not a, it's well. a little thick in Peeper Volume One. Yeah. Uh, we could do without some of that. Uh, I'd rather he'd argued it like this. Okay. Now, you could say, well, a dogmatician doesn't have to do that. Well, if you're going to write prolegomena, it'd be a good idea. Well, he, you know, the problem, well, if people forget, you, you, know, the, you know the story, volume two came first. So oh, did it? Yeah, volume two on Christ came first. Okay. Uh, but the problem is we read volume one first because yeah. it's volume one, and he starts with Scripture. So we're going to start with Scripture and, and all the proofs. Yes. For its yes. plenary inspiration, yes. yada yada, yes. which is which is fine it's and okay. true, and we all affirm it. Yep, but it's missing the linchpin. Yeah, and uh, but whereas like you look at the Augsburg Confession, or you, you look at look at uh, Chemnitz or, or Melanchthon, they didn't start with Scripture. No, they but again, nobody doubted that Scripture was God's word back then. That's why right. nobody. Yeah. That's why a few scholarly cir- circles fiddling with Genesis one through three, but nobody. No thought Scripture was anything else. If you'd suggested in the 16th century that something of Scripture wasn't God's Word, they would have crossed themselves and said, how'd the devil bring that in your <laughs> mind? <laughs> exactly. And these days you speak as if Scripture's at all true and people think you're mental. We're pretty much out of time. It's been great to have you with us, Rod. I, I want to encourage everybody to go to uh, Modern Reformation Press and uh, pick up... New Reformation Press? I'm sorry. New, new I, Reformation I messed up. Press. I've done that before. Is that all run together? New Reformation new, Press? New Reformation Press. Press. Com. I Go there, get some of Rod's materials, and check out the other stuff there. It's fantastic stuff. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend in Jesus.